I'm going to start off today with a question for everybody. What is the term hex? H-E-X. What does that mean to you? Well, in witchcraft, it's a spell. It's a deception. It's a trickery. It's a way of controlling you in witchcraft. So I'm going to go to this origin guy who uh, is the great. Uh, if, if, again, I'm skeptical of the name because it's like original origin start. However, his translation that I'm complaining about, the Antichrist translation, the Alexandria Recepticus, Vaticanus Recepticus, Sinaiticus Recepticus, those three. He called that translation Hexafla. Hexafla. And you go to the six-sided star, a, a hexagram, and that has to do with this number six. In the occult, that is their number of finality, their number of the deception being over, of completed. He claims that he, uh, that his uh, documents, those three, were in the sixth edition, so that's the way he covers for it. But the bottom line is, that's in your face. When he, when he uses language like that, He's telling you what he just what it's all about. It's about a deception over Christian to destroy the church. And I go down to Rothschild's six-sided star, which is it? Listen, the six-sided star is a heavy-duty symbol for witchcraft. Um, Rothschild paid to have that as a symbol there. It's not the Star of David. It isn't the Star of Solomon. Solomon didn't invent, invent it. It goes back to Babylon. So uh, this is this Ptolemy Alexandria, Plato, Pluto, school of thought, the great school and library of philosophy. And that spawned this theology. So I go back to this uh, the, the beginnings of this attack on the King James. And if you start to dig and you move backwards, you'll see names like Wick Broomall. Do you understand when that guy uses that name? He's there with the uh, American Standard Version, there with the New King James. When he uses that name, he's putting it in your face. I'm a witch. But one of the other things that came out of this was the Matthew Henry theology. And I just happened to have all those books here that were going to the burn pile from the library. And, and once you get in it, you say, my, what do these people hate the Bible? They're all over the place. Because when it comes to this Matthew Henry, it's not one author like they're, they're trying to say at all. Uh, and you go in there and uh, you'll see that there's multiple people writing and plugging into this and that he was paid by the muckety mucks. How do you know that? Well, he has he, he, they have the audacity to put his uh, life's history out of his own mouth right there. He was a great rich man. Matthew Henry. Again, I go back to this origin and the way they selectively give you the history. All right. That's in your face. But when it comes down to this, uh, the critics of the critics of, of the apostles and Christ, that's what, listen to me. When you go to the origin doctrine, you're criticizing the apostles. That's what, when someone comes up and they say, oh, the apostles should have never used the Septuagint. The Septuagint. That's where all this comes from. These muckety-mucks from Egypt criticize the apostles. And when you go to these other Bible versions, you look at the notes, and they're so against the Bible, everything there is to get you away from the doctrine. Back in Jerusalem, during Christ's time, 
There were three sects. The critics of the apostles and Jesus say they belong to this Essene sect. And you'll, you'll see all kinds of propaganda about the Essenes. But it's not true. There were three sects altogether. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes. And the Essenes were the ones that were the forerunners of the apostles, the ones that really scribed everything, and that was their job was scribing. And they were very God-fearing, and they would not take part in the satanic doctrines that were flowing out of Jerusalem. Okay? Now, next week, I'm going to go into the history that we have in Maccabees on this family, on Ptolemy, all Alexander the Great. Who are these creeps that ordained this school? And it's an occult school. Don't, don't think that that school is some Christian school, because it's not. It's renowned in the occult philosophies of the world. That was its main target, not Christianity. Christianity, they targeted that to destroy it. Now, that's the bottom line. Ptolemy here, this family that lost the war and lured Jonathan Maccabeus to a feast and collapsed on him there. He only took his best soldiers with him. They were busy feasting, and that's where they killed him. That's this same bloodline, all right? So on we go with what do the translators of the King James, the 47 translators, what do they say about all this? When we were in the 7 of 11 uh, page, we saw Aristotle ethics, okay? And you take Aristotle and, and, and all his doctrines that he wrote, there's no hardly any manuscripts to that. Do you realize there's more manuscripts of the King James than any other old document. I don't care if it's Greek mythology. I don't care what it is. There's more manuscripts proving the, the authenticity of the KJV than any old document there is. So Aristotle ethics means to check and recheck and check it and get multiple people to check out doctors. And when you scribe you double, you backwards, forwards, you make sure that it's done correctly. We went over how the 47 people did here in the Bible study, how they broke off into sections and how they would make sure that it was done correctly. And we went over the great gathering. But as we go ahead here in this, in this seven of 11, uh, we, they give some parables of good versus evil. In other words, the people that want the Bible scribed correctly into the King James, they're the good. And they have the wheat to the chaff and then glass to pearls. And they do those uh, similitudes out of their own uh, creation. Um, and then they stick up for the powers that promote this translation. Any, any, any good leader, as they, they see it, would want their subjects to have a good translation of important doctrines of all kinds, especially the King James, and they go through that, and uh, they have another little parable, it's the evil eye versus the good majesty, and they are sticking up for any leader that would have doctrine given to the common language, to the common folk. Uh, they go back into uh, the history with Israel and the doctrine, and they finger these two Antichrist people, Sanballat and Tobias. And this is during the Nehemiah era temple, and these guys were against the prophets and against the rebuilding of the temple. They were real live turncoats. They exposed that, and they compare it to this origin translation. Okay, uh, and, and, and they're, they're sticking up, instead of having that kind of leader, they go into uh, 
maturely translating, examining all the translated. They give the parables about it, uh, like uh, when you're translating, you're polishing gold. In other words, we're not destroying the Septuagint. We're taking it and we're building off of it. Okay? And this is what the apostles did. The apostles took the 70, as it's called. Now, these people were obsessed with God's holy numbers. A Septuagint is seven, 70, 72, which is 72 is for the 72,000 square furloins of the New Jerusalem temple, or 77. And that's why they took and attached Bell and the Dragon in the Song of the Three Holy Children and uh, the history of Susanna and attached those to Daniel so it would come out to 77 because they loved that number. But the apostles grabbed all that and started to keep the truth in place and make any corrections not to destroy, not to run down the uh, people that gave this translation to everybody because that got going clear back there with the Essenes. We're talking about 250 B.C. where the 70 said they wanted to put this in for the whole world. So the question was there 250 years before Christ. And as it goes along in 711, they honor anything that will help them to have this done, including King James. Okay? Um, then they start to talk about themselves, the 47 men. They start to say, okay, they had, we had one. We had duty to the king. But we had obedience to God. And they also claim that they have love, the translators do, of saints. And that they're yielding their service for all the above, for God, for the saints, that's their fellow believers, full of agape love. Okay? Then they move on. This is where it gets interesting, folks. We go into, they said, let's look at the historical, historical truth. Uh, they go into the Puritans. Okay? So there's, a, there's trouble with the Puritans. Okay? So everybody had this conference, and it was called the Hampton Court Conference. And King James had come to the throne. His mom, uh, or uh, Elizabeth, was a witch. <laughs> That's the bottom line. There's no questioning that. Her advisor was um, a pure sorcerer, okay? Famous sorcerer, <laughs> all right? And so she believed in magic. She just did. So it was appropriate when he came there to this court and all of the muckety-mucks from origin were there. And they did not want another translation. Okay? And uh, the complaints about their translation, the Geneva and uh, those were stamped out. Origin uh, and his gang of cutthroats uh, said, no, we don't need a new one. But King James said, yes, we do. Yes, we do. So King James was motivated at that Hampton Court to uh, get this new translation that came out of this. Uh, so that's what came out of the Hampton Court meeting. Uh, there's also the gunpowder plot. That's in history. Okay, and if anybody don't know what that is, they were getting ready to blow King James to the moon and back. It was filling the room below his with gunpowder <laughs> and gonna uh, blow him sky high. We'll put it like that, and they got caught. Okay, but the translators. They're saying the king made a speech to parliament then. And saying this is the word of God. That's what they're saying. And in fact, this speech that King James gave to Parliament over this was translated, once again, translation into French, into Dutch, and Italian, 
and into Latin, and maybe more, they say, because people got that, and then they they uh, put it in other languages for people. So the uh, translators here to us, to the readers, they say, okay, men are imperfect. And, but even though we're imperfect, we can still have virtue. Okay? And this translated word that they're talking about isn't a translation bordering on the edges. They're saying, they're claiming, the 47 men are claiming this is the word of God. <laughs> That's right out of their lips here in this intro to the reader. And they say that the apostles were endued with uh, God's spirit to do this. Obviously, they were empowered to do this. How could you have the Baptist seminary in Detroit saying, get away from that King James. Don't, don't read that intro to the King James. Oh, no. Get away from that. That's terrible. They should have never used that. Go to our origin Bible version. Go to our NIV. That's where you want to be. Well, now, now you know. This fight goes all the way back here, back here, pre-Christ, this fight was going on. Okay, and then they give some uh, Plutarch parables, okay? <laughs> and they ask about these type of leaders that would attack the apostles. And they, and, uh, they talk about Rome being burnt by this guy named Galles, okay? Do we remember that in history? What is that? That false flag. And they're saying when it, when it, was, when it was done, it was done in haste. And uh, so they're saying um, that's what this is with the bad origin translation. They're really starting to come down on them. And they use a couple historical things. There's a Cataline and Nero, and they all use false flags. What did Nero do? He went and burned down his building and said the Christians did it and went to town. And that never, that never stopped. Okay. But uh, then they flipped back to the people that uh, were going to rebuild the temple. Esdras or Ezra, uh, Zerubbabel and Haggai the prophet and Nehemiah. They're talking about the, this tale of two temples. It was prophesied to happen. It was prophesied to be rebuilt. But uh, they're saying, look here, the, the glory of the second temple was nowhere near the glory of the first temple. And they're using that as a similitude of what they're doing. They're saying here uh, about the 70, about the Septuagint, the apostles and the Septuagint, they're using to make this English translation. They're not trying to step on it. They're not trying to do like, and they come right out and talk about origin and how he burnt doctrines he didn't like. They're calling him a book burn. How about that? They're towards the end of this seventh page of this, okay? From there, we're going to go on to page eight. When we come back. Now, I've been requested here to elaborate on the book of Acts because this is exactly who is attacking the apostles here. They attack Stephen. Okay, so we're going to go over that here. Is everybody there in the book of Acts Acts chapter 6. Okay. So, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. 
How about that? So here, here they are. We've got to find a chink in the armor. Now, beware out there, folks, because that's what they'll do today. They'll, they'll say, uh, they'll go back into your history. They're not going to argue with you about the King James. They'll go in there and say, well, you had a divorce when you were young or something, something that has nothing to do with it. They will attack you over this Bible. And here they are, these Grecians. Okay, Grecians. Is that not Alexander the Great? Bloodline? Is that not the Antichrist? Home. Rome. Well, it is. Okay, but here the apostles get together. Now, these are the same guys that are putting our King James together. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So what they're saying, you guys aren't feeding the widows. Well, they don't have time. Obviously, I'm telling you what they're doing. That's no small task to take the uh, 70, as I'm calling it, the Septuagint, and to get it into all languages of the earth. It says in three, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay. And that has to do also with scribing, translating. Five is a new paragraph. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Pro. Chorus and Nicantor and Timon and Permanus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. Uh, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Okay, here we go in nine. Here we go with the origin cult, the Alexandrian cult. The Ptolemus cult. And here they are. And their name here is the Libertines. And you won't see that in any of your Antichrist Bibles. That name will not be there. Nine is a new paragraph. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines. And Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Delicia and of Asia disputing with Stephen. And there they are. That's the same group of biblical cutthroats that we're against today. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So if he can't do that, what do you want to do? Kill him. It doesn't matter whether he raised the dead. It doesn't matter. What miracles he did, it doesn't matter. Full of the Holy Ghost, that don't matter. We're going to kill him. Now, how do they do that? They don't walk out here like John Wayne. We're going to, whoa, whoa, we'll get you to your face. No. Listen to what they did. Then they suborned men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders, and the scribes, and came upon him, and caught him, and brought him to the council. What is that, the Sanhedrin? And set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And all those are just 
lies. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and change and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And that's another lie. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So what would you do to that? What would you do to that? If you love God, would you want to kill this guy? Because this is the same people that gave you They gave you your NIV. They gave you your Antichrist Bible version. These are the same people that set up all these fake churches. These are the same people calling you names for sticking to the King James today. With a bunch of lies. Serious lies. And there they are. The great thinkers from the great school there in Egypt. So in chapter 7, she has me starting here with 35. 35. And he's talking about when they mocked Moses, when the two of them were scuffling and he went to break them up and one of his fellow countrymen said, who's made thee a ruler and a judge? And here it is in 35. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? Question mark. Well, God did. The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hands of the angel, which appeared to him in the bush. Now, this is an important part, because this is Christ. Appeared to him in the bush. Who did that? God did that. And that angel's what? Christ, listen to this. 36, he brought them out. After that, he had shewed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. New paragraph in 37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear. Okay? This is Christ he's describing. Listen to this, 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel, which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Okay, this is the angel to describe it. To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. And where is the Ptolemy school of thought? Ah, there it is. Okay, in 40 we go on. This is uh, harmonizing with Exodus 32, 1, the saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For, a, for as for this Moses, which brought us up, us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And that calf, back in this day, represented Molech. 42, and they're harmonizing this with Amos 5.25. It says, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. <laughs> there's your astrology, there's your angel worship. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Question mark. Okay, listen to this. 
because this is right in their history, in our history. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle, capital T, of Molech, and the star of your god Rimphan, which figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Okay, now, what did we say when we started this? The hex. This, this is the hexagram here. The star is the six-pointed star of Rimphan. Okay? There it is. And I go back to this ungodly translation, this abuse of the Word of God, this hex that or origin tried to put down across God's people. I'll carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. See, it's a replica of heaven, not uh, to Osiris, okay, <laughs> like your temples are today. They're based on the Baal worship of yesteryear. 45, it says, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. And that's the temple. This is the temple we're talking about. But Solomon built him an house. Howbeit, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. This is right out of Solomon's prayer here. It says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Question mark. Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? That's the words of God. 51, it says, Ye stiff-necked, in a new paragraph, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost? Question mark. As your fathers did, so do ye. Now this is directly to these Antichrist people that are involved with the Ptolemy school. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Question mark. And they have slain them which shewed before of the coming of the just one. And that's Jesus Christ, capital J on the just. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. What a disgrace that is. Now listen to these cutthroats. Instead of accepting the truth, listen to what they do here in 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. That's satanic. That's possessed. 55, but being full of the Holy Ghost, this is uh, Stephen, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, get this, standing on the right hand of God. And he's always seated. He's standing in reverence of the first martyr of the New Testament here. 56 has said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. 57, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. Everybody, have you had that? Have you had the hands over the ears? Have you had the hand in the face yet? Well, you start talking about the King James, and you'll get there. You'll have the hand over the ears here. Isn't that a shame? So what do they do to it? Full of the Holy Ghost. 
that Stephen is. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now here is Paul. And Paul is connected directly to what we're talking about. Paul and the people that are in Jerusalem, in the temple, they don't want this real doctrine. They don't want the Septuagint. No, no. They have the Kabbalah. They have the Talmud. They have the Zohar. And they have this perverted origin translation. And they are murderers. Okay, so what happens to this Paul? Look at him. Look what a horrifying deal this is. And it goes on in eight. It says, and Saul, which is Paul, was consenting unto his death. You see? They're murderers. They're not only murdering the scriptures here with their NIV and their uh, American Standard and their New King James and all, just all of them came out of this. But they are actually deadly people. He was consenting unto death and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Again, they're warring against it. This is the same group. And here they are attacking all the saints and the apostles themselves. How can we call these theologians, the people that did the uh, Matthew Henry <laughs> doctrine, and if you read that, You'll be chasing your tail. You'll never understand the Bible. That is the most antichrist piece of manure. And I have it here as Exhibit A. Without going into it, it's more of this same crash. More of the Gnostic thinking. As for Saul, and his name is what? Okay. Except the apostles. And the apostles were here doing what we're talking about. Two, and it says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, as for Saul, ladies and gentlemen, he made havoc of the church. Now get this. Entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Okay? Now she sends me to Acts 9. And I'm going to go 1 through 22 here. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Okay, see, here we are. We have the three sects here, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, which are the good guys. Those are the people that held the doctrine. But here he goes to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that's Christianity, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, 
why persecutest thou me? Five, and he said, who art thou, Lord? Question mark. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What happens when you kick against the pricks? You get stuck. Okay, and here's Paul again in six. It says, and he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. New paragraph in 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. <laughs> 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Again, look at the people pushing, the, pushing this. This is, this is origin. This is Alexander the Great school up here. There's Jews spread from Jerusalem all the way back to Egypt here. These are the people doing it. 14, it says, in here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all that called on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, capital K, and the children of Israel. For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. 17, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, and said Is not this he? That destroyed, destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound into unto the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Okay? Now, 
That's what we want to say here. That when we're defending the King James, we're defending the same doctrine that came here through the apostles. And what a miracle it is. Under all this world government attack on the scriptures, that it went to the four corners of the world. And therefore, in the year 1500, when it could not be stamped out, the gospel was already spread. And that we gathered 5,000 Bibles from around the earth that did not go through the Vaticanus uh, Receptus. It did not. It was, it was a treasure. It came up through the Septuagint. The corrections that needed to be done were done there with the apostles. And that's what these translators here, 47 men, say they're doing. They're not destroying what the apostles did. No. The origin's the one that did that. He went out there and found some doctrine he didn't like, and he, he's just a book burner. That's the guy that is corrupt. We're, uh, they, they go into those similitudes that we're building off their foundation. We're putting this into English, and this is our divine duty to do this. And, um, folks, that's the truth. That's the truth. I mean, whether or not uh, some the critics of the gunpowder plot say, well, that was false flag. But you can't deny it because King James burnt that, the people behind it at the stake, history goes. So he was no, <laughs> he was pretty much a tyrant. His whole family was tyrants, the Stuarts. And uh, they burned, and then they celebrated this Wicca, like celebration there in England. And it was over this gunpowder plot. So, what King James in, the, the, in, in London claim is that they were going to blow this same school of thought and these same satanic scoundrels, what they are, people behind the Vaticanus Receptus, were going to blow him sky high. I mean, they had the whole room full of gunpowder. And somebody snitched, right? And so he was very angry over that and uh, burning at the stake. And they celebrate that every year. So we can't deny it and say, well, that ain't in history. It is certainly in history. Now, uh, is there anybody here at the table that has anything else? Because we're going to pick back up here in page 8 of 11 next week. We're going to continue going. And uh, I just, Midge, do you have anything? Uh, we got a report here on the radiation here that he's going to talk about about here for a minute. We want to keep everybody updated. I'm using the stuff right here. I'm using the rocks. Keep the radiation down and don't let them poison you out there. So here he is without any further delay, backed by popular demand, the midget and his report. Okay, I've been studying some products here, testing them that are uh, EMF radiation uh, shields. And I uh, purchased some fabric. And if you have a pen and paper there, you might want to write down the name of this company. It is Amra Deald, and it's spelled A M R A D I E L D. And it is a fabric, and it has nickel and copper in it. It can be sewn and taped. You can use it for bags, curtains, and tents. It's effective shielding for cell towers, microwave signals, phones, smart meters, security systems, radar, military broadcasts, etc. Making home textiles, anti-static cloth, wireless meter shielding, e-textiles, shielding curtain, EMP and EMI radiation reduction. High shielding, conductive fabric, for blocking RF signals, such as cell, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and GPS. Now, I did a test with this fabric. I have a Faraday cage on uh, my Wi-Fi modem. I took the cage off, and I covered the modem with one layer of this fabric, and I got readings that were actually a little better 
couple of uh, <clears throat> marks down from what the uh, Faraday cage had done with only one layer of this fabric. And uh, they say you can double it, triple the layers, whatever you need to do to block your radiation. And if you have a meter, you can test it with your meter. And now they did tests and they show how they tested this fabric with their meter. And I can say that it does reduce the radiation at one foot away from that modem into a normal range. So it's very, very effective. Once again, the name of it is Amradild, A-M-R-A-D-I-E-L-D. Now there's more fabrics on the market, but this is the one I saw and I, from reading about it, I wanted to test it. So I purchased it and tested it and it is effective and I would recommend this. You can wrap a cell phone in it and uh, you can test it and you can see that it very much reduces the amount of radiation. So it is a good product and they sell it in uh, different size sheets. Um, I can't remember the dimensions of the sheet I got, but it's um, I think 90 some inches uh, by like uh, 36 inches and it was only $26. You can get larger uh, uh, dimensions of this fabric for up to $70, $80, but this was at $26 and that you could cover quite a few devices with this. So it's tested and recommended. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, on the world stage, we're talking about that ram and the he goat, how important that is, and that when the peace agreement is conducted, that that sends us to the next level. Um, and I, I talked about the, uh, ceremonies that they had, occult ceremonies. One was there at the Red Sea. Now, they had a whole conglomeration of different religions there. Um, and then they did it at the uh, what they call Mount Sinai, which is not the real Mount Sinai. It's where the Sinaiticus Receptus, and there's a monastery there. They had a ceremony there and put up the uh, 10 new commandments from the U.N., so, see, the UN sponsored this religious ceremony at the Red Sea, and that was all in preparation for this great deception that we're under today. And I'm warning everybody about the new map. It's not new. It was it goes back to the 1950s at the Club of Rome, which was the Royal Institute of International Affairs and changed their name to the Club of Rome. And they had the new map for the United States. And if you look at that map from 1950, we're headed for that. So this, what you're seeing here with this great divide, this, this is a red state, this is a blue state, all of this is putting everyone into certain areas of the country. We're going to receive the new map, and we want to stay strong no matter what the devil does to the map. Okay, we got to stay strong. We got to have our faith in the Lord because he can protect us. It doesn't matter what the devil does with the border down there. It's done. And here, um, the, that same document from the Club of Rome said that the immigrants would be the first ones into the FEMA camps. Now, these FEMA camps are all over the place. They've been there. They've been prepared. They're not going to sit there forever. And they're going to start using them on these immigrants. Um, the description of Christ uh, when he returns and all the people that are in prison, they just are. And this Antichrist is not going to release the prisoners. He's not. So this uh, the border between um, Mexico and the United States was given to the U.N., Years ago, man, there's a checkpoint 50 miles up. How do I know that? Well, for one, one of our old studiers there, Jeff Roberts, went through that checkpoint. It's a UN checkpoint. So there's 50 miles north and south of the border down there. It was given to the UN years ago. 
So when that fence goes up, you better watch out because now you're getting, you're going to get the new map here and you don't want to land in some lunatic park. You want to have wisdom and understanding allow the, the Holy Ghost to have you where you need to be because travel is going to be affected with all this. There's no questioning that. This Red Sea extravaganza, they're going to lock down. They're going to be drilling, yeah, for them, for their ships, for their trains, for their helicopters, not for us. Not for us. And uh, so we got to keep fighting the good fight here. Remember what I said about exploits, that the saints are going to do exploits in the last days. That's the book of Daniel. So never, I'm not giving up hope at all because we're going to get these outpourings of the Holy Ghost and God is going to defend us. Um, I got something here from a table person I'd like to add to our study here today. Go ahead, table person. Speak up. Just to give Tom some verification here, I have a book called The Kings and Queens of England and Scotland and the Gunpowder Plot. There were 12 conspirators all together. One of them, the one that was caught in the cellar at midnight, was Guy Fawkes. And you, they celebrate Guy Fawkes Day to this day. Okay, so there you are. There's a verification of what I'm saying. And this uh, uh, that was done to stop this. Uh, the people were against him. Now, do I believe his book that he wrote on his deathbed? I believe King James said sodomy was an abomination and that uh, he, that the leaders should fear God and all that. Hey, it could be true. Or, see, leaders are known to leave their image. It's Machiavellian. It doesn't matter what they really are. It's what they present. It could be that. It doesn't matter. Okay? God can use any king. Get this straight. We don't have to have a good guy in the White House. God can use them anytime he gets ready, like he did Pharaoh, like he did Nebuchadnezzar, like he did Nimrod, like he did Esau. He used lots of tyrants over the years to do what he wants to do. And, uh, but uh, that's a good example of it. Now, let's look at King James Fruit for a minute. He fought this monster here from Egypt. And notice the timing of it. Here was Queen Elizabeth, and she would have no part of it. She had John D. the philosopher as a guy. John D. is a powerful sorcerer. He's famous for his sorcery, for his astrology, for his contacting the angels between the veil. He's famous. He wrote books on occult numerology, 666666. See? And here this origin has the audacity to call this version a hex. Now, how can we believe someone that calls their Bible version a hex, hexlapha? Come on, folks, we can't Quick, Brumo. Quick, Brumo. And this goes way back, folks. We can't allow them to pollute our doctrine. Now, we've stayed strong here at the King James Church. We, we've stayed strong, and we don't need to know the history to see that these other Bibles are trash. They are. They're occult trash. They just are. And if you can't see that out there, whoever you are, doesn't matter. And I'm talking to somebody that's not studying probably or whatever, or they're sitting in the pew right now as we speak. If you can't see that those Bibles are Antichrist, you've got a long way to go, and you better get there because the time is getting short. We're seeing the ram and the ego. The peace agreement's going to come. And we're taught, when you see all the wars and rumors of wars, to let our heart not be troubled. Now, is your heart troubled? The midget says his heart. How about you? How about you, Ben Ball? Their heart's not troubled here. But when we see peace, better start looking up here. Because that abomination that maketh desolate, that shrine on the Temple Mount, the abomination that maketh desolate, is going to be coming. And when that comes, then the day of the Lord's coming. 
at that first sickle in the book of Revelation. And that's our victory. David Jeremiah came out and said, there's nothing good in the book of Revelations. He said, it's hell on earth. Oh, shut up. It will be for you, David Jeremiah, you fake. That's our victory. We're getting Lucifer off our back. We're going to have the crooked made straight. That's nothing but good. The book of Revelation is nothing but victory for us. That's all it is. So that's uh, David Jeremiah, who preaches out of his Antichrist origin, New King James, is a complete and utter turncoat. He's preaching Madame Lebowski's doctrine, guardian angel. Guardian angel. What does that mean, guardian angel? It means you're, you got familiar spirits. That's what it means. That's what Madame Blavowski meant when she started that term, guardian angel. Okay, this is what we're up against, folks. Anybody from phone land got anything out there they'd like to bring up before I sign off here? Okay, table people, are you all good? Okay, here from Akron, Ohio, Akron, New Franklin, Clinton is the old name. From the midget, Harriet, Bo, and Benzi, and myself. May the Holy Ghost go with every one of us. Bye-bye.